1: It was a week of comebacks for FC Barcelona. Frankie Dion had the final word against Granada in extra time to send Barca through to the Copa del Rey semi final. Francisco Trincao got his first goal for Barcelona to win 3 2 against Betis in La Liga. And this is Barca Talk. Welcome to the show. I'm Brian Henderson, filling in for Alejandro Viegas. With me is Sergio Rodriguez. Brian, what's up, brother? Not much, man. We're doing this late at night after the Super Bowl. Uh, Today, we're going over Barcelona's dramatic 5-3 win in extra time against Granada to go through to the Copa del Rey semifinal, and their equally dramatic 3-2 win against Real Betis in La Liga. So let's start with our new segment called One Touch. We're going to go back and forth with the best, the worst, and anything else that stood out for us in these two games. First up, the Copa del Rey win. Granada took a two-goal lead in the first half. But Barca fought back to get it level, sent it to extra time, and then in extra time, Barca went ahead 3-2. But Granada equalized on a penalty kick, and finally, we got the game winner from Franca de Jong, and another one for good measure from Jordi Alba for the 5-2
0: finish. So, one touch. Serge, kick it off. Dude, Umtiti laid an egg, bro. He stunk it up, dude. He gave up that ball in the box. Went to a goal. Then the second goal he gave up, he got burned by freaking Mandro Reject Soldado on a long ball, just stuck in second gear, just looking at him from behind. And he got burned. So he laid a, a really bad egg. And uh, has no sense of urgency. You know, it just shows that left center back is a concern. I just looked at Barcelona's goal scoring
1: funnel. They had 36 shots, 20 on target, and a total of five goals. That's 55% on target, which might sound low, but it's actually really good. And we're going to learn more about that later in the show. But their actual scoring success was 25% of their shots on target, which is well below their season average of 32%.
0: So, so Brian, so what, the other thing that stood out to me in the Granada game was, was, you know, we didn't die. We didn't roll over, right? We played to the final whistle, right? We played for the whole 90th minute. We were down two goals, and we showed a lot of heart and sacrifice.
1: Yeah, and then for me, there was Sergio Roberto. I was very happy to see him back from injury. Then he gets injured again. And now we don't know how long he'll be out, so that was a real bummer for me.
0: Dude, another incredible, incredible highlight is 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 the Messiah, right? Mr. Lionel Messi, man. A 10 out of 10 performance. Dude, this guy doesn't even score a goal. But he contributed on all our opportunities. He he made the pass to Griezmann to score a, a miracle goal. And then he takes the shot that that the goalkeeper bleeds for Frankie to shoot in.
1: Well, speaking of opportunities, you know, another thing that stood out for me was actually Granada's goalkeeper. This guy, Aaron Escandel, made 15 saves. So we got the 20 shots and we got the five goals. And that's great. But there were 15 that this guy saved. And about
0: eight of those were pure reflex. You know, another thing is is that penalty. You know, against Dest. You know, he he comes in as a sub. You know, he hasn't had his fitness. His confidence level is low. And then this dude dives, and the ref falls for it. You know, it's freaking ridiculous, man. And not only that, I was like, okay, he's going to go to var. No, Brian, the dude did not go to var. His ego wouldn't let him. He's like, nope. Pointed to the spot penalty check your ego. Like, it's okay. We're human. We make mistakes. Go to VAR and correct it. Nope. It was a turning point in the game. And I felt bad for Des, right? Because he's trying to get his confidence back, trying to get back into rhythm. And it kind of shot it down again. So, uh, you know, I hope he bounces back.
1: Yeah. And for me, this is interesting, because Griezmann started out as on my worst list, and then he wound up on my best list. First, he gives up a ball on a lazy pass that gave Granada their second goal, and then he didn't show up until the 88th minute. But when he did show up, he got two goals, he got two assists, so he shifted from worst to best for me. <laughs> now, let's go to the weekend game against Real Betis. Barca faced them in La Liga just hours before we started watching the Super Bowl. Betis opened the scoring in the first half, and Barcelona had no real response. But after some changes, Barca got level, and then a goal ahead, only to see Betis equalize on a free kick. But then a late goal from Trincao was enough to secure the three points for Barcelona. Serge, let's do it. One touch.
0: Go. Bro, to start that game, you know, that Arajo ankle injury was a real freaking downer, dude. So mm-hmm. that, that, that injury really kind of set the stage for the rest of the game.
1: Well, definitely for the first half, it was the most pivotal moment. In the first half, actually, if you compare first half with second half, right? First half, we had three shots, none of them on target, so obviously zero goals. (laughs) Second half, nine shots, four on target, three goals. The starting 11 just couldn't create, couldn't deliver, but Kuman made the necessary adjustments to make an impact and get the win.
0: Outstanding. So another thing that stood out for me, Brian— in the game was uh, Minguesa He had some nice crosses. He had a header that almost went in. He had a shot from a pass from Dembele. He was all around and he was still playing his guts out and tracking back and covering that that wing. He really stood out as having his best game. And maybe Coleman just sees him more as a right back.
1: The other thing that stood out for me was once Messi and Trinkau came on for Ricky and Pjanic. That was in the second half, and that was the most pivotal moment of the second half. Because then Pedri, who had come on earlier, he got to come back to midfield. He had been playing forward when he was replacing uh, Braithwaite. He finally got to come back into midfield, and that put two of our eventual goal scorers on the field. So putting Messi and Trincao on for Ricky and Pjanic, that was super pivotal.
0: Dude, for sure, man. That midfield was kind of out of seat. You know, Ricky was there and Pjanic Pjanic was completely out of seat. He just wasn't crisp and wasn't fine and didn't have the quality today. But you saw the whole rhythm of the game change. You know, once Messi came in, him especially, right? And Pedri, they started to give and go. Pedri started to recover. Messi started to create. and, And that goal from Messi, ooh! baby the next goal wasn't bad either right it was I think Messi passed it down to Jordy on the left side and Jordy crossed it right into Griezmann of all people and Griezmann (laughs) trips on himself and hits it against himself and it hits back against the defender and it rolls in Brian this is what Griezmann does he makes these (laughs) weird goals and the cross was set up for his left foot and he's left footed and he missed it and it just hit – it just ricocheted like ping pong and just rolled into the goal. You know what, Brian? No matter what, I'll take it.
1: Yeah, he got lucky on it, but I'll uh, I'll take it any day.
0: What stood out to me is this guy who we've been bad. – I've been bad-mouthing. You know, he's been having a down season, and he's Mr. Clement Longlet, right? In this game, dude, he goes into boss mode, kicks it up a level, takes control of the, of the defense. He saves our butt a bunch of times. And this was his best game of the season. Right. And this is long, long, the long lead from two years ago where he was playing up. This is the one that started for the French national team. And this is the one we, we expect the consistency from every game. Definitely. And the other player who was on it,
1: finally, we're very happy to see this was Trinkau. He finally scored he, not only the game winner, but his first goal for Barcelona. So here's to happy endings for Trincao and for us because we got the three points. And that that does it for one touch. Now, there is one item of news we should talk about this week, too. Uh, Ansu Fati went in for another knee surgery last week. It's his second surgery since November when he had to leave the last game against Real Betis. Catalan Television's TV3 first reported this story. And Football España reported that Fati had already had a second surgery, making this his third. But that was later corrected. He may be out for the rest of the season.
0: Dude, that's a real bummer. Right. Uh, I think I was seeing on Twitter different news sources coming that it's it's fake. It's true. It's fake. But what we do know is he's not going to come back anytime soon. Now, Brian, I've had many knee surgeries. I had two meniscus surgeries and one ACL surgery. And I could tell you they never go as planned. And I hope he gets better. Right. I hope it it, uh, his knee gets in in good health and we could see him back.
1: No doubt, no doubt. Now coming up, we're going to break down how the forwards on this team aren't scoring as much as they should, and that's an important reason why this team won't win the league. But first, Pedri, a great young talent who's had a positive offensive impact with contributions to build up, a couple assists, a couple of goals, but his defensive contributions show us even more about him. That's in a minute. Now we'd love it if you would support this podcast on Patreon. We have some really cool benefits for patrons, like our WhatsApp group, there's always lots of good discussion there with some of our hosts and other fans all over the world. The chat really lights up during games, but it's active all through the week. Then there's Barca Talk Cafe. That's our web series from Spain with Gabriel Quiroga in Madrid and Mariana Guzman in Barcelona. We've opened up older episodes on our Patreon page so you can actually watch those and see if that's something that you're into as a benefit. And we post other things on our Patreon page, too, from time to time, just you know trying to maintain a fun community for our patrons, but really the main thing you'd be supporting is this podcast. You know, because without enough support, we really won't be able to do this anymore. So check us out on Patreon. We have a few tiers you can support us at. They're all really reasonable, and there's a link to that page in our show notes. So thanks, and let's get back to Pedri. So this kid started on the bench against Betis, but he came on at the top of the second half for Braithwaite, as we mentioned before. And we mentioned how he's playing... At Sort of left wing to begin with, but once he was able to move back into midfield, he was playing more of his own game, though he wasn't involved in any of the goals ultimately. And that second half that he did play, in the end, was a little quiet for him. In the Granada game, he played 105 minutes. He was ultimately taken off for Longley. Again, he didn't have any real highlights on the offensive end of the Granada game, but on the defensive end, he made 10 recoveries. Since we're talking about recoveries, he made 12 the week before against Athletic. So we know that Pedri makes good attacking moves. He has three goals, four assists, and his passing and possession game, they're all on point. When we start looking at the defensive side of his game, though, a picture of a much more complete footballer emerges.
0: So so Brian as you've seen the team succeed from December January and February it's when Coleman switched to the 433 right so what's interesting in that is that Pedri is now playing more centrally right so he's now there with the action with all the loose balls and this is what Pedri does he's a recovery machine so he's become so good at recovering that he's 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 leading to us transitioning to the offense quicker but it's only because he's in the 433 and he's in that central role. So I think a lot of the success we're experiencing now is attributed excuse me attributed to to Pedri playing that in that central midfielder as a in the 433.
1: Yeah, I actually did some analysis on this uh and it's true. He's made 54 recoveries when the team was playing a 433 but only 32 recoveries in a 4231 and this team has played about 300 more minutes in a 4231 than in a 433 so to calculate that into a rate though pedri is making a recovery every 43 minutes when he's in a 4 2 one and a recovery every 19 minutes when he's in a four-three-three, So you're absolutely right.
0: You know, and what's interesting, it's kind of similar to like Liverpool, right? Where where they have the top three monsters and then they have them. Like he is a recovery machine and all he does is recover the ball and get it out front. Get it out to Mane and, 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 and Salah and get those monsters the goals. And this is what Pedri is doing for us right? He's recovering and he's starting the offensive transition. Cause we don't have, we don't have a counterattack. We don't have a transition game. We do a slow buildup, but in recovering the balls in the midfielder, we're able to transition fast and get some goals. And that's what Pedri is great at right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He made 10 recoveries against Granada four in Granada's half and three of them created immediate attacks. But you know, he's always looking to do that even when he's deep in the opposing half, like, uh, against athletic the last week he made one recovery really deep in athletics half fought to keep the ball. He took it to the corner. He managed to pop it out to Jordy and that immediately turned into an attack from pretty much the end line. And I doubt that's going to be on many highlight reels. But if you watch the full replay of that athletic match, go to the 68th minute to see this.
0: Pedri is probably one of our, our few best box-to-box players, right? So we have Frankie, we have Griezmann, they're box-to-box. But but Pedri and Frankie are are becoming recovery machines, right? I remember that, uh, what was that game, against uh, Real Sociedad? Yeah. And he was playing a 4-2-3-1, so he was playing advanced. He came all the way back to cover for biscuits and get at the goal line, save the goal, and then just hit the pole. I thought he broke in half, dude. But that showed the determination and sacrifice this kid has. He's new to the team, and for the veterans to see that, it was like, okay, this this dude wants to win, and he's with us. He's a pro.
1: Yeah, and you you mentioned covering. You know, he does a lot of covering. When I was watching that play, it almost looked like he was covering for Odalho, but you could easily say that he's covering for Busquets as well. And a lot of times, he's covering. Jordi. I mean, I was looking at the Granada game alone, and I counted six occasions when Pedri's coming back and he's covering either for Jordi or Busquets just in that game.
0: I think I was looking at one of the heat maps, right? I think he had his season heat map. And you could see that, yeah, he he's tends to cover for, for Jordi Alba. And that's good, right? Because Jordi Alba attacks. That's Messi's guy. And then we have Pedri to cover for him. So uh, the opposition will take advantage from him. And also, if you look at Frankie, runs into the box guess who's gonna have to cover you think it's gonna be biscuits hell no dude it's pedri pedri's covering for frankie going into the box and then he also has to cover for biscuits you know because he's not fleet of foot so pedri is, sur- is serving like triple roles in covering for everybody and and, and it's taking you know it's taking its toll on his offensive side but i think his recovery skills is an asset to the team Oh, absolutely. And like in the Supercopa Semi,
1: that was with Real Sociedad. The other uh, Real Sociedad match we were talking about, that was La Liga back in December. But just recently in the Supercopa Semi, uh, Pedri and Busquets, they were holding down the midfield in the moment when Frankie got into the box and scored the first goal. And then in the Copa del Rey uh, against Rayo Vallecano, it was a similar thing. Uh, Pedri was sitting deeper in the midfield and then Frankie got into the box and scored the game winner. So these ways that he's covering for Frankie or with Busquets or for Busquets, uh, they are creating these opportunities for Frankie to get into the box and contribute to goal scoring.
0: Now, all this work has has a cost, Brian, and that's his physical expenditure is really, really high. So he, he's a starter, right? So Coleman has etched his name in stone. He is starting any opportunity he has. The problem is he's playing so many minutes, and you could see it's taking a toll on him. And not only is it taking a toll on him, it's, it's taking a toll on his offensive output, right? I don't think he's getting to the box as much. And maybe in this system, that, that's okay. We, we need him as a recovery machine. But, you know, I think as he gets older, he's going to have to know when is the right time for him to go balls out. Right. When is, a, you know, because he's like a little gnat. He's like a skinny, slender gnat just on your ass, wanting that ball back and give it up. And once he gets the ball, he's not going to give it up. He's going to pass it to 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 the the offensive guys and get the transition going. And then he needs to know when to cruise and chill and save our energy when he needs to expend it, right? Kind of like we see Messi walking around, right? And knows when to kick it into, you know, fourth, fifth gear. Well, you know, Pedri's
1: 18, and he has that 18-year-old exuberance and energy, but, you know, also he'll just run himself to death and not even know it, right? So, But, like, we've seen Koeman's, uh substitute him out a little bit in some games when he looks out of gas, but actually he's been making so many appearances. And for an 18-year-old, a uh, new arrival, it's Kind of surprising almost how many minutes he's getting and how many appearances he's made. At this point, he's made 31 appearances in 32 games. Uh, when he came on at halftime against Betty's, that was his 31st appearance. And he generally plays 90 or close to 90 most of the time. But yeah, there are, there are those games when he looks tired and he still plays 90 or close to it. And if you go back, you have to go back all the way to Atletico in November... And then through December, right around that time, he was getting subbed off in the 56 minute, 46 minute, and then in the 70s after that. But generally he's getting played 90 minutes, and a lot of times that's happening twice a week, and he you can see how it, it takes a toll on him for sure. Now, to finish this off, there's this other issue about the Pedri Ricky Puig interchangeability question. Uh, which is that when Ricky Pooch comes on, it's usually for Pedri. And that tends to get us thinking that these two guys are interchangeable. But really, if you plug in Pooch for Pedri, you're not getting the same thing. You're not getting the same result, particularly when it comes to this kind of defensive work and the recoveries that Pedri is contributing. In the Copa del Rey match, when the midfield was Frankie, Pedri, and Ricky, you could really see how different these two guys are.
0: Yeah, totally, dude. Uh... Ricky is more of a creator, right? You know, he has, you know, he he has a a strong engine. He's always going. He's always moving around. He's passing. He's trying to create. And now we're seeing Pedris just, Phenomenal recovery and defensive skills. So yeah, they're not interchangeable. And when you see Coleman replace uh, uh Pedri for Ricky, it's because we're down, right? Mm-hmm. We're usually down and we need a score, so he puts in uh, uh push to to be to be the catalyst, right, and to provide that energy. Pedri's role is to now that we're seeing it in, in its full scope and how it makes the team move is for defensive recovery and to cover everybody. And that just it's working. It's working for us, Brian. You know we're. Succeeding, Frankie's making runs in the box. Biscuits isn't a big liability, and and Jordy's actually can can attack forward, and Pedri will cover him. So he's serving just multiple purpose, and he's serving the team well.
1: And uh, I would personally like to see more of that particular trio of Frankie, Pedri, and Ricky because, like you said, like they, they would complement each other well because they're not all doing the same things. Let me ask the listeners: tell us what you think. Does Pedri work himself out of the game? And is the Frankie Pedri, Ricky Midfield something you'd like to see more of? You can add us on Twitter, Barca Talk Pod. There's also a link in the show notes. After the break, we have a math problem. Barcelona have scored 44 goals in La Liga, but they should have scored more. And that could be the difference between second place and top of the table. When we return, we'll show our work and tell you who's scoring up to their potential and who isn't. Welcome back to Barca Talk. We're talking about Barcelona managing to come back and get past Granada 5-3 in the Copa del Rey and their 3-2 comeback win against Real Betis in La Liga. So, Barca eventually scored five goals against Granada and three goals against Betis, and that's actually out of the ordinary for them this season. What's strange is Barcelona's leading the league in goals with 44 to Atletico's 40, and yet Atletico are ahead of Barca by seven points with two games in hand in the league. And when we look at the games where Barca have lost points, four draws and four losses, that's a total of 20 points, you could point to the goals they conceded through defensive errors. I mean, the one that most immediately comes to mind for me is the Cadiz game. Uh, that was the one where Araujo miscalculated. They gave up a goal. They lost the game 2-1. You could point to that as you know, being the main cause of this, but that's not really fair because, actually, I don't think defending is Barcelona's game, right? Clean sheets, defending low scores— That sounds like another club. That sounds like Atletico to me. Scoring more than the other team. That's Barcelona, you know, for better or worse. And the same thing happened last season, by the way. They scored the most goals, but they came second.
0: So it's weird, Brian, right? We're leading the league in goals, but our eyes, the eye test is telling us we're not functioning at 100%. We're not optimal, right? We're not scoring at the same rate when we had the MSN, right? When we had Messi, Suarez, and Neymar. That was goal-rific. Right. That was really prolific in the way we were scoring goals. But, you know, in this case, apparently we're leading the league, but our defense sucks. So imagine if we had an optimal offense. Right. Imagine if we were scoring more goals, then instead of losing some of those games, we would have got ties and we probably would have been closer to Atletico. Right. We would have been within, you know, six points. It's apparent to me we're not we may be leading, but we're not optimal. No, absolutely. This team
1: is not scoring up to its potential and I can nerd out and I'm about to nerd out and explain to you why <laughs> Right? we have all this talent, right? We have Messi, Griezmann Dembele. We know that they are talented and yet we, we notice that they aren't scoring probably as much as they could across the whole team. If we look team wide, the whole team is not scoring as much as they were last season, for example, because last season, this is one way to measure it. The team's most common score in a game was two goals in almost 30% of their games. But this season, their most common score is only one goal in 35% of the games. So in those one-goal games, they've only won two of them. The other ones account for all of their losses and all but one of their draws. So that's 18 points dropped. And you can definitely attribute that to a lack of goal output, not just conceding through defensive mistakes. So if we're going to go moneyball on this, and at this point you should know that that's exactly what I'm going to do, we need to look at individual players and their XG stats versus their actual goals scored. So first, Serge, could you explain to our listeners what XG is?
0: So so Brian, so this XG metric, right? It's like all over Twitter. There's all these graphs and plots. So these stats nerds created this metric to describe the quality of the uh, opportunity that goes to a shot. Right. So if we look at and and they give it a score. So if we look at the Granada game like that, the pass Messi made to uh, uh, Griezmann. Right. And he just made that miracle goal. That's probably what a one (laughs) percent chance he would make it five percent. So and then compare that to the Frankie goal. Right. So Messi shoots at the goal and the goalkeeper spills it right in front of the goal. And and Frankie shoots it in. That's probably a 90 percent chance most players are going to make it, right? So if you sum it up, that's like 0.91 that gives you the XG metric. So that's almost one goal, you know? So that's how this metric works. It kind of gives you a, a probability of making that goal for all these opportunities and aggregates it. So based on distance, angle, whether it's a head or a foot, or the assist type, it just gives it a score, and you're able to assess that not only on a team level, but on an individual level.
1: Yeah, and on a per-shot level, right? Each shot yeah. is given its own XG score, and then you can start to aggregate that for one player or for a whole team, and you can do it for a single game or across a whole season or any collection of games. So it's a, it's an interesting and handy metric, uh, and it's, I believe, as objective as it can be. It's 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 not just like a bunch of guys sitting in a room saying, like, yeah, I'd give it a seven. <laughs> So, so if a player – just to clarify, if a player is scoring more than their XG, that's really good. If they're scoring less than their XG, that's not good. And if they're scoring about the same as their XG, they're doing fine. Is that correct?
0: Right. If you, if you look at the, the differential between the goals and, and their XG, right, that delta, that tells you whether they're clinical or not, right? So if you're scoring more goals than your XG percentage, right, then you're a clinical mofo. You yeah. are, you know, something we don't have, but you're really you're, delivering. Yeah, you're delivering the goods. <laughs> and then if your XG is higher than your goal production, then, you know, you're wasting a lot of opportunities. Then you're not clinical. Right. So you yeah. can see that, you know, so when you start rating uh, uh, forwards, you look at their XGs and your Gs. And you when you start looking at teams, then you could start looking at their XG to G ratios. Right. Well, let's
1: look at individuals and let's break down our forwards and a couple of scoring <laughs> midfielders and compare The goals they've actually scored with their expected goals or xg and of course we're going to start off with your favorite forward martin braithwaite he played (laughs) well it's very important that we talk about him because he's he might turn out to be sort of a linchpin in this whole thing so he played 56 minutes in the copa del rey didn't have a goal and just two headed shots but serge what can you say about martin braithwaite
0: dude he's trash you know (laughs) How do you You really feel? (laughs) You know, soccer players rate other soccer players by their first touch. Mm -hmm. And Bray's first touch is freaking trash. And we saw it today in the Betty's game. It's just he just lacks that that first touch quality, you know. And when he plays today, he's playing, you know, I think Coleman's putting him now on the left wing. He doesn't even trust him as as the center forward. And when he is playing center forward, he's just looking for tap-ins, right? So he's looking for that 90%, 80% XG, right? Because that's all he can make, you know. But I think he's getting them, and he's not even freaking making them. And no, he's so he's so bad, Messi's not even passing it to him. I remember this game. I forgot what game. But it was Alba to the left of Messi and Braith to the right. And he looks at, at Braith and says, hell no, I'm giving it to Alba. I don't care if you blow it, but at least you have a better probability of making it.
1: Yeah, that was not too long ago against Athletic. But uh, yeah, so let's break down some numbers. His XG this season is six. So based on the shots he took, he should have scored six of them he's only scored two, right? So that's only one third of the ones that he probably should have scored. And look, if you look at a map of where he's taken his shots from, you're right, he's looking for tap-ins. They're all from in the box. Uh, there are a few from outside of the box and he's he's missing a lot of them. Now, last season, including when he was playing for Leganess, he had an XG of 9.65 and he scored seven. So that's almost three quarters of his XG. He he was doing better last year playing for Leganess than he is at Barcelona.
0: You know, he just doesn't create for himself, you know, and and that's one of his biggest flaws is that in, in, a, in a team that we're looking for him to create for himself or to be clinical and the metric just shows he's not right. And and maybe, you know, we should be looking for a center forward in the years to come.
1: Well, another thing that you have brought up to me off mic is how when he's in a center forward position, he doesn't draw the defenders because They don't consider him a real goal scoring threat. And then that causes problems for other people such as Messi. And that gets in the way of them having the space to score goals because they don't take him seriously. And it is easy to point out how he's keeping others from scoring. I think we could we could probably do a whole segment just on that. But but <laughs> another question is, what's keeping him from scoring? Just like you were saying a moment ago, he doesn't create for himself and he doesn't have the trust of his teammates. So how's he going to get these opportunities? But one thing to look at is that last season, he he got seven goals, but he had to take 52 shots to get those seven goals and this season he's only taken 19 shots so it might be that the only way for him to score more is for him to shoot more and he would need to play more to shoot more but if he plays more that's not going to solve the overall goal deficiency for the team because, <laughs> because he gets in other people's way and he makes it harder for others to score as well <laughs> there's a no-win situation <laughs> now let's move on to Dembele he only has two goals which is not very much but his xg is 1.78 so he's actually overperforming. Given the shots he's taking his on target percentage is a little low, 42% on 19 shots. So for him, the remedy, if we want more goals from him, the remedy might just be
0: more shots and more accurate shooting. I agree. You know, I think he's, he's one, you know, he's so dynamic and he could create space for himself and and take more shots. You know, and he's that effective. So the metric proves he is effective. And I think you're right. He just needs to shoot more. When
1: you drill down into the data, you find some interesting things, such as if you look at Griezmann. Here's a guy with an XG of 6.75, and he scored six goals with 43 shots. So he's scoring just about the right number of goals he should, given the shots he's taking. His on-target percentage is 51%. On 43 shots and before you go saying that 51% on target is low which is what my initial thought was turns out he's 10th in the top five European leagues for on target shooting he's actually the most on target shooter at Barcelona so 51% is actually pretty good as it turns out
0: and Greece is the is the type that just makes some weird shots you know it's it's like the easy shots he misses but the most difficult shots he makes so it it, it kind of shows in, in his uh, XG, right, where he, you know, he's getting the quality there. He's just missing some early in the season, right? So now toward this this part of the season later uh, in the most recent games, he's making more of them. so So I think that's catching up to his XG. And, you know, and I'm hoping he surpasses that as the season goes on, right?
1: Yeah, I think he might very well do that. Now, I want to mention... Fatih because even though he's been out injured since November and he's probably going to be injured for the rest of the season he's still the third highest goal scorer for Barca in La Liga in the seven games that he played he netted four goals but with an xg of 1.84 Ooh. so Fati's absence has clearly been a major factor in the team's overall lower scoring numbers
0: Brian that is the definition of clinical that is a matador right there. That is, you just barely give him an opportunity and he's hitting it, right? So that's why the, the Spain national team was high on him. And that's why he, I think at Three games in, he was leading the team in scoring, right? So that's why everybody's so high on him. And uh, the the news on his injury is kind of a bummer, right? But Yeah, it's you know, a little hope, devastating. I'm hoping he gets back, man. I'm hoping if not uh, by April, then, you know, next season, he should just take it all off and be ready to go.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, of course, it's going to be better for him to recover well than for, you know, rushing him back. We've seen how that backfires already. Now, we got to save the best for last. So here we are. Talking about Messi. His XG for this season is 14, but he's only scored 12 goals. And again, this is just in La Liga. Um, Last season, his XG was 19, but he scored 25 goals. So if you compare Messi to Messi this season to last season, he's not living up to his goal-scoring potential this season the way he was surpassing it last season. So he's underperforming, but of course we know he still has the ability, right? And that's the whole point. Of this whole segment is that everyone but Fatih and Griezmann is underscoring even though they have the ability. Like you and Alejandro, you talked a couple of weeks ago about how Griezmann has been played out of position ever since he came to Barcelona, and that's why he hasn't been scoring like we expected him to. So what do you think best explains Messi not scoring at the level he should this season?
0: Honestly, Brian, I you know, I think that's why Coleman started with the four two three one formation. Is for Messi to have a center forward. He needs a center forward, and for Messi to work in that ten roll and have that space, right, to create or shoot, you know, behind the the striker, and that would be the most optimal formation. You know, it, it, I don't think it's the four three three. I actually think it's the four two three one, but we need a center forward, and we don't have one right now, you know. And what was interesting was was Coman was trying to try different, you know, different players up there: Griezmann, Braith. But what I wanted to see more is Fati. You know, maybe Fati can play that role. Maybe he is a nine. That would be interesting. And hopefully we we might see that next season, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's not playing anything right now. But when he comes back, sure, I would love to throw him in that position. But this makes me think that it all comes back to where we started with Braithwaite right he's the only quote-unquote number nine that we have and he's obviously not delivering for himself he's not delivering for others and there are certain examples that i've managed to find where you can tell that messi is going to score more when he has this space when he is in this number 10 role and someone is ahead of him stretching out the defense right so against granada in early january that four nothing game he scored two one from a free kick But the other was when Pedri was ahead of him drawing the defenders and he had space to set up his shot. And working to get Messi that kind of space would open him up to score a lot more. Like on his goal against Betis, he got the ball from Dembele with a good amount of space to set up his shot. And the main thing is that his goals aren't coming at the end of dribbles as much as they used to, right? The last goal he scored at the end of a dribble was against Osasuna in November. At this point, he just needs that little bit of space to work in. So if we want to see players scoring like they should, you're saying that it all comes down to a number nine, right?
0: Yeah, I I think Messi is no longer a right winger, right? He's no longer that inverted winger that comes in from from the right side and shoots in. I think he's a 10. He's a false nine and a 10 all in one. So he needs to work behind the center forward in that space to not only, you know, shoot at goals to have to 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 make goals, but also to to be the assist man. So we have a guy who's the best 10 on the planet and the best false nine on the planet with shots and assists. But he needs that space. And once he gets that space, Brian, I'm telling you, the whole team is going to work optimally. It's going to be so effective.
1: Yeah. So clearly Braithwaite's got to go. So, who is your number one pick for another nine? And apparently, Luis Suarez is off the table. He's just, he's lighting it up over at it, let it go. <laughs> that fairy tale is over. Who's your number one pick for another nine?
0: Oh, dude, Brian, we had this question on the newsletter. And I remember Gabriel came back with Firmino. That was his pick. Alejandro was Holland from uh, Dortmund, right? And then my pick was uh, Romelu Lukaku, right? But. Now, I I actually seen uh, Holland play yesterday, man. This guy, this kid is freaking fat. He's 6'3", his fast as a gazelle, and he is very effective, man. I think I've seen his, his XG is at 10, and he has 14 goals. And if you notice, Holland, he he is getting very frustrated on Dortmund, right? Dortmund's not playing well right now. He's getting very little opportunities. But when he gets the opportunities, he is making them, right? So I think there was a recent leak that uh, uh, Mino Raiola is throwing it out there that, hey, you know, Holland wants to go to Barcelona. Hey, Brian, that's not an accident. You know? That's <laughs> right. Holland telling him like you, you need to get your, my ass in Barcelona, figure it out, get a discount. And we know Riola's relationship with La Porta was a lot better than his with Bartomeu. So mm. I'm going to agree with Alejandro. I think Holland is on his upside where uh, Lukaku is is trending downwards, right?
1: Yeah, well, keep an eye on Holland. So let me put this out to the listeners. Hit us up on Twitter with your thoughts. Braithwaite's got to go, but who's your pick for a nine? Again, we're at Barca talk Pod on Twitter. And I want to talk to you, the listener, for just a second. I know there are those weeks when you don't listen to this podcast, and I get it. I don't even listen to my most favorite podcasts every week, and that is exactly what the new format of our newsletter is designed to help with. It is now um, a concise digest of everything we cover in the current week's episode, conveniently delivered to your inbox every Wednesday, and that's it. We just want you to know what's on the show, even during those weeks when you don't get around to listening to it. So if you aren't already getting the newsletter, there's a link in the show notes to sign up. Now, finally, let's look at this upcoming week's games. We've got Sevilla in the Copa del Rey, which is two legs in the semifinal this is the first leg on Wednesday away at the Sanchez Peace one. And then we've got Alaves next Saturday in La Liga at home. So we just finished talking about how this team is not optimal. It's not living up to its goal scoring potential this season. But in the Copa del Rey, will goal scoring really be the biggest concern, do you think? The reason I ask is because with knockout tournaments, you can get through if you can just hold down defensively, usually. Knockout tournaments tend to favor more defensive playing, even though that's not really Barcelona's game. That is sort of what tends to work uh, reliably in a knockout tournament format. But this is two legs. So... How big a concern is goal scoring in this two leg semifinal?
0: You know what, Brian? I'm not concerned about scoring goals. I'm concerned more about giving up the goals. You mm. know, so, so our defenders are are good for a mistake a game, right? And if Araujo's injured, then we're trusting Longlet and Umtiti. That makes me nervous, right? That they don't give me the most confidence, especially Umtiti playing in second gear. You know, I, I, I'm I'll be I'll be pretty stressed during these games.
1: It will be stressful. I totally agree. Uh, looking at La Liga. All of us held off Barca's nine shots on target in their last meeting, only allowing one goal after they'd gone ahead. And so Barca managed a draw. But in this case, against Alavez, I'm personally going to be looking for a lot of goals, plenty of goals. Whereas against uh, Sevilla, Copa del Rey, I'm not necessarily looking for as many goals.
0: Let's get fat, baby. we got to get <laughs> fat on them.
1: Yes, absolutely. So our Euro team, Gabriel Quiroga and Craig McGuff, will be on next week to give you their analysis of the results on those. And that does it for us. Peace, go We out!